Welcome to Deep Dive for Impact, where we tackle some of the biggest questions nonprofits and social enterprises face. In this podcast, we'll help you navigate the world of fundraising with insightful conversations, practical tips, and a whole lot of inspiration to help you make an even greater impact on the causes you care about. What makes a good fundraiser? What are the traits or the characteristics that we can identify? We can use to help make the right hire, the correct hire. We can nurture, we can develop. Or if you're a fundraiser, what are the gifts that you have that help you to excel in your position? The reason why I want to talk about this is I think we see people get this wrong a lot. And it's a big deal, not only in its own right, but the way we think about it is this. One of the biggest barriers to having more impact in our sector is raising more funds or bringing in more income. And that's why we're really focused on helping organizations have more and better funding conversations because we believe that will unlock, it's our biggest way, it's our biggest point of leverage to unlock a lot of impact in the world. Then go upstream from that. I believe that the next constraint organizations face is actually not prospects, although many would say that, I think it's actually the talent. And when I say that, we've watched organizations get it wrong, languish, have a development churn, take two steps forward, three steps back. And so I think having this conversation is really, really, really important because of the impact it can unlock. You know, in my career, I've probably interviewed hundreds, hundreds of development candidates. Maybe it's a client that says, hey, can you help us with these few interviews? Or maybe we're trying to help build a team at an organization. And I know for sure I've coached and trained thousands. And in doing all of that, we begin to see some patterns, some things that really help uh, to identify or really help to set apart some fundraisers. So I'm going to name those today. We're going to talk about them. First, we're going to talk about some of the common misperceptions uh, what, are, what are things are we see people doing wrong or incorrect? I want to name those. Then we'll get into the characteristics. Again, I, I think that some of these will be a little bit of a different take for you. Although I'm hoping that many of you will say, well, of course, I've just never heard anybody say it in that way. But you're exactly right. That's how we think about fundraising or that's what makes me a good fundraiser. And then by doing that, I want to point to a few areas where you can help nurture or grow somebody or maybe unlock growth for yourself. The preamble, as I said, uh, just a reminder, we're about more and better funding conversations. So for some people, they might call that a major gift. Often you'll hear me talk about the one-on-one sitting down with somebody, making an ask. Maybe you call it a major gift or an institutional ask. Certainly at 4Impact, you'll see us put this under the banner of sales a lot. Sales is the forging of the human connection. And so we're trying to help organizations do that more effectively, again, to unlock that income. But whatever you call it, I just want to put that reminder or that preamble in there because I think that there are a lot of great fundraising skill sets. But as I share this today, I'm really focused on that that aspect or that position, the salesperson. What makes a good salesperson? 
Hey, let me first start talking about some of the mistakes that we see. Let me name those a little bit. The first one that we see is hiring for the Rolodex or the network. This person knows a lot of people, so I'm going to hire them in the hopes that they bring their network into our organization. And if you haven't done this hiring a lot, I can understand why people would think that. Um, and while we've seen a few connections get made here and there, 90% of the time, this is a bust. And I would maybe even say 95% of the time. You see, individual relationships can impact strategy. If I have a relationship with somebody outside of this organization and I want to bring them into the organization, maybe it's easier for me to get a visit. That's strategy. But it's rarely the case that someone's giving in a major way to an organization because of the relationship to the individual. It's a relationship to the cause or the case facilitated by or serviced by the individual. The second mistake we see is hiring for what we call the wrong track record. So somebody was successful uh, raising money at another organization in, in a way, in a context which doesn't translate to yours. Let's suppose they were at an Ivy League institution and you're a startup social justice organization. In the, the place they're coming from, they've raised $40 million. But they've done that from people that have had three generations of relationships and maybe themselves had a 30-year relationship with the institution. That's going to be a very different type of fundraising from what you might need, which is going out and finding and developing new leads and getting in the door and making a case and developing the relationship quickly. And finally, the third mistake that we see is assigning this responsibility to the board. It, your board is, are not going to be good fundraisers. Now, instead, what I would say is that there are some people on your board that can be very helpful to the fundraising process. That's a distinction, okay? We can nuance that all over our website. You see stuff about it, but I just wanna be quick in naming it here. In general, one of the reasons why our board members are not good fundraisers is because they don't like asking their friends for money. They end up trading dollars, or this is a volunteer position. And again, I'm being brief with this, but I don't wanna conflate that with the impact individual board members can have a really big impact on our fundraising outcomes. But trying to position them as fundraisers will often fall short. More on that on our website. I'm just getting that out of the way here. So I've talked about some of the misperceptions. As I work into characteristics, I want to then move from mistakes to table stakes. These are things I just got a name, okay? They're named because I see people hire for them, like, oh, they're relational. They're gonna be a great fundraiser. Being relational is a table stakes. Like it should, every fundraiser should be relational. Um, table stakes, well, what are those? They're, they're the price of admission. They're the low bar you have to cross over. So every fundraiser needs to be able to have a conversation. I'm not gonna elaborate on that in this episode. They need to be able to listen. And I can go way deep, 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 deep dive into different types of listening. But what I mean here is they've got to be able to have a conversation where they don't do all the talking. So again, bar here is pretty low. And finally, they've got to be relational. Um, 
which is just simply saying that they can do relationships. But as I'm always reminded of uh, Tracy, one of our senior partners, she says, yes, but relationships towards what end? Like, can you take that in a fundraising sense and move it somewhere? Now, I'm saying this because I'm not going to go deep into how someone builds relationships and can they carry on a conversation. Yes, check, check, check. But just because they can have a conversation doesn't mean they're going to be a good fundraiser. You got that? Okay, now, now I'm going to move on to some of the traits. And I'm first going to start with like a category, a special kind of fundraiser. I call it the supernova or the unicorn. If I ask you to conjure up an image of a great fundraiser, maybe somebody that you know or uh, what, you th- what you think a fundraiser is, they're going to pull out into a few buckets that we're going to talk about. Now, the first one is what I call the supernova, and that might be the founder of an organization. And there's a lot of literature on this, and it's well studied, but when you're getting an idea or an organization off the ground, you're essentially saying, hey, bet on me. Put your faith in me. You, you can't see what we have on the other side. Every founder or visionary leader is, in some sense, a movement builder. They're saying, follow me. Now, I got to tell you what. When they do that is beautiful. They're wonderful fundraisers. But I almost need to just say I'm going to put them in a category unto themselves because here's the thing. You can you can take a, a supernova and you can give them some tools and they're going to be even better. But you just can't take somebody or hire somebody and give them some tools and expect them to be a supernova. What we often see is that that supernova, that founder fundraising, it starts to fund it starts to fall down at scale or sustaining over time because at some point you need to be able to sell the case of the organization maybe that's the outputs maybe it's the program maybe it's the impact so what do we do when we see supernova fundraising very simple we name it uh one of the things we see organizations do is the supernova burns through fundraisers because those fundraisers can't emulate the supernova or the unicorn. So we name it and we say, hey, you, founder, you're awesome. You're an asset. You're exceptional. But the rest of fundraising can't be modeled off of the way that you did it. So number two, you have a decision. Do we want to continue to scale you? That's more time on the road for you and putting more people around you and taking years for people to figure out how to emulate you. You can do that. Or if not, then number three, we've got to build a case that we can allow others to sell around that stands on its own. You can always be a good part of that story. And like our board members, you can always come in and support the fundraising process. And in fact, you can still do supernova fundraising. We just can't scale the fundraising operation as though all the fundraisers will be of your archetype. So I had to call that out because once I go through all the other patterns, I think you'll see that They don't all hit the category of supernova. So supernovas are great fundraisers. They're outliers. They're unicorns. But we can't hire and train for unicorns. Many of you know that, and that's why you're listening. So let's get into the traits that we can name, we can identify, we can better, we can improve. The first that I have is disciplined execution. Disciplined execution. Now, 
another way I could say this is consistency, doing the process, or getting to the ask, the ability to get to that point. Now, why do I make this first? Because when I asked you to conjure up that image of a fundraiser, maybe you know the supernova, but most people start to think about a gregarious individual or an extrovert or somebody working a room. They immediately, they go to personality. They go to appearance. And one of the things we've seen, again, across thousands of this is though, if, here's my if, If it were an either or, I will take the person that can check the boxes and do the process and do the asks on time over the person that can light up the room. Now, again, listen to my words there. If it were an either or. I'm also making room in here for the the many, many fundraisers we've seen that have really excelled that don't fit that profile. Maybe they come off as humble or patient or intellectual or maybe these words that we don't get over-indexed like gregarious and extrovert. But they're terrifically engaging in their own way. And you know what? They have their discipline execution, whether that's through habit or willpower. They just turn their brain off and they get to the ask. Can they ship? It's a shorthand we have. Like, Can they ship the proposal? Can they make that call? Can they get to the ask? You give me that person, that attribute, and I'll score them out blindly over somebody that uh, is scored with this uh, jubilant personality. Again, if it was neither or, my point is that I think we over-index for personality sometimes. The second trait that I would pull forward would be, this is very specifically worded. You ready for this? Uh, they accept responsibility for conviction. Accept responsibility for conviction. A lot in there. What it does, I could have said, has a positive attitude. But it's more nuanced than that. It's more nuanced than that. Let's take these words, conviction, belief, okay? So ultimately, they believe in what they're selling. It is always said, it has long been said, that selling is the transference of belief. Do they believe? And how do they believe? Well, they have taken the conviction for that. A good fundraiser has what's called an internal locus of control. It is my responsibility to get what I need for the story. It's my responsibility to put my head in the position to make that ask tomorrow. There will never be a right time. I will never have all of the information. Now, that responsibility also connotes work because I need to make space here and I need to talk about it's not enough to have conviction in a way where you wear rose-colored glasses. The best fundraisers test that and back it up a little bit and they do the work to have the conviction. If they don't do that work, they don't accept that responsibility and instead, like I said, uh, rose-colored glasses are just leading with blind faith, you'll watch them run into buzzsaws, okay? They'll get knocked down here and there. So that responsibility, now again, and I said this, but in doing this, they, that conviction, it creates a lot of space for a lot of different temperaments to come in there. The introvert, the extrovert, the quiet person, the loud person who knows how to be quiet. (laughs) 
Now, the third attribute that I've named here, I want to talk about really what I'm going to be trying to say is they're a clear thinker. But the way that I name this is I'd say that uh, a good fundraiser is a good communicator in writing. A good fundraiser is a good communicator in writing. But what, really what we're getting at there is they evidence clear thinking. So when you write, it is evidence of clear thought. One really interesting thing is we don't think about this, but uh, neuroscientists and linguists and cognitive scientists, they help us to, they remind us, they teach us, they illustrate that when we're talking, when I'm using the verbal medium right now, there are so many other tools and, and what are called verbal gestures that I can use to communicate besides just the words, my inflection, my pace, even my movement. You can kind of hear me moving around with the microphone, my cadence. There are so many things. That's not even to talk about all the nonverbals. Well, when you just have a pen and paper or keystrokes, you're reduced to clarity of thought. Now, I know we're in the age, I, uh, age of AI. That actually doesn't bother me. You still need clear thought to get clear thought. You need to put in good prompts and you need to choose good responses. But one of the things that we'll often do is have somebody uh, look at a website, then we'll give them a call memo and ask them to write a follow-up letter to a prospect. So you know what? I, that can't really be emulated by AI, but shame on them for not running it through AI afterwards. My point is I want evidence of clear thought. Also in good writing, you see someone's ability to be brief and concise. Do they run on? Because if they run on, Again, they don't have that clear thought, and that's going to be how they communicate with funders. And are they relatable? Do they choose a voice that's going to relate to the, fun to the funder? And all of this is not even to say anything about the ability to ship proposals and follow-up and predisposition language, emails, and everything else. Now, I, I pulled this one out. I'm reminded of uh, somebody about five years ago that called me up and said, Hey, Nick, we worked with you years past. And uh, we're coming down to our final two candidates. So I have this idea. I want to run it by you, Nick. They said, we want to simulate a cocktail hour with our board. And we want them each to come in and meet everybody. And then that's going to tell us which one to hire. Nick, what, what do you think? And I said, well, are you asking them to do a writing sample? And he says, well, what's that have to do with it? I said, look, I'm not for or against the cocktail hour, but their ability to have a conversation in the room is table stakes. I mean, unless you have a supernova in there uh, or unless you're buying purely on charm, I can tell you over time, you know, and you, you can certainly you can certainly uh, screen for table stakes. Like if someone walks in there and they fall flat on their face, that's actually a great interview process. But I think what I really want to know is then what can they do inside of those conversations? What can they do in the follow up conversations? How can they dig into that? So I would pair that with a writing sample which they did, and, and they thought it was a good idea and really helped to inform their decision. So something to think about there, those three things. Uh, can you ship? Are you disciplined in your execution? Number two, accept responsibility for conviction. And number three, evidence of clear thinking, primarily through writing. Then I have what I call two bonus traits. Now, these are bonuses because we can point to many, many great fundraisers that don't score off the charts in these two areas. However, however, these two areas, if you can unlock them, if you can find a funder or if you are a fundraiser and you think about developing yourself in these areas, 
They're what allow you to unlock the transformational gifts, the really big relationships. Um, and these two traits are as follows. Number one, empathy. Empathy. Think about this. How many of you, when you conjured up the image of a fundraiser, said, you know what? A really empathetic person. But, but, so much of fundraising is about listening to and understanding what the other person is thinking or wants to do. A good fundraiser can put themselves in the shoes of a prospect or a funder. Ultimately, fundraising isn't about our case for support. It's about how our case for support connects with a funder. And if somebody has a high degree of empathy, they're going to be able to do that. They're going to be able to figure out the case that translates with the funder, which is way more valuable than finding the perfect case for support. And my friends, empathy is one of those things that you know it when you see it. Like if I ask you who's the most empathetic person that you know, you can probably name and identify that. Is it something that can be taught or practiced? Mm, I think it's worth asking. One of the things that we've found is it something that can be improved through mindfulness, which is a fancy way of saying, stop and ask yourself the question, what do you think the funder is thinking? Or what do you think the problem is that they have that we can solve for? And all that does is take us outside of our space. We just did this last week on a prospect strategy and the, the team said, you know what? This is a prospect that has all the money in the world. For them, it's probably a time problem. Like their ability to, they want to partner with us because it would be impossible for them to buy the time to replicate what we have. And what that did is it unlocked for us a mindset. This is not a money issue. It's our ability to connect with them and translate and help them have impact in a timely way. Empathy is also going to help drive the line of questions that you have because you're going to be coming from a place of not trying to get someone to move to where you are, but you're trying to understand where they are. So that's the first bonus characteristic. The second bonus characteristic I would call conceptual thinking, or they're a conceptual thinker. Do they have the ability to connect details to the big picture, to see the big picture? Other evidence of conceptual thinking is their ability to use analogies, to make, to make comparisons, or to simplify and synthesize or even reframe. Reframe what you do in a way that makes sense using the funder's words. Conceptual thinking. Now, um, can we become better conceptual thinkers? Absolutely. And I think the number one way to do that, simple, read, read read and keep reading. You know, um, liberal arts majors, I wouldn't even guesstimate how many books they read in their uh, undergraduate career, but they do a lot. They basically spend their whole undergraduate time being trained in how to think as a conceptual thinker, to synthesize, abstract, make these connections. That turns out to be a very valuable skill in fundraising and in sales. Now, with these last two, well, what do we do with them? Well, a couple of points. Very often, we get a phone call from somebody that goes like this. Hey, you know, uh, you know I, I'm just really frustrated. I burned through four development officers. I'm looking at the market right now. 
what we'll do is give them these characteristics, but we'll start with empathy and conceptual thinking and say, you know what, let's do this. Think about your team and your network. Let me ask you a different question. Not who do you know that has 10 years of fundraising experience, but I want you to think about somebody that's comes to mind when I say empathetic and conceptual thinker. And maybe they might know empathy or conceptual thinking and not both. That's fine. And then also can write really clearly, has a powerful conviction for what you do and gets stuff done. And almost every time someone's like, oh my gosh, that's Marcy, that's Sarah, that's Nick, that's Tim, whatever, right? And we've actually used those questions to go identify and tap people on the shoulder and say, hey, I think you've got potential if you'd be open to having this conversation to really help me and help us unlock a ton of impact. You can train those people with tools. You can give them process and they will execute their daylights out of it. But it doesn't work the other way. You can't have somebody that's full of empathy and misses deadlines. You can't have somebody that's full of empathy and always walking around skeptical and and Eeyore. They got to have those foundational pieces and these last two things can help to unlock everything. What makes a good fundraiser? You know, I want to get these points out there because I believe that all of us working to make this better, if we know what to look for, we can actually stop the development officer churn. We can put more people who have these gifts and bring them into this space, unlock more income, and have a greater impact. Hey, let me know what you think. Send an email to nick at 4impact.org. Until next time, go be 4impact.